Hey everybody, welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so this week our guest is EWS veteran Ray Morrison, who, in what turns into a pretty wide-ranging conversation, talks to us about the start that she got as a pro racer and the injury recovery that spurred her to take the plunge in the first place how the EWS has evolved over the years, what she'd like to see changed if she were in charge of running the show, her bike setup preferences, and her super interesting team arrangement, which includes working with her husband, Jesse, as her mechanic, and a whole bunch more. So we'll get into it in just a second here, but before we do, I also want to take a quick minute to encourage folks to check out our Blister membership and sign up to get a whole bunch of great benefits, including some really good deals on We Are One Wheels and a whole bunch of other good stuff, and the ability to send an email and get your personalized gear recommendations from me on whatever you might be looking for. And I've been having a bunch of really good conversations with a bunch of Blister members recently about new bikes and in what is very encouraging news, folks are really able to buy bikes right now. Some of the supply chain headaches that we've been seeing the last couple of years, well, they're not gone, seem to be at least abating a little bit, and there are bikes to be found. So we've been setting people up with a bunch of really good stuff, and we'd love to help you out too. With that, let's get right into my conversation with Ray Morrison. Well, Ray, it's great to have you on. Thanks for taking the time to chat. How are you today and where are you today? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm currently in Whistler, um, dog sitting for a couple of weeks. So yeah, pretty pretty stoked to be back in Canada after all the COVID stuff and yeah, get to hang out with a cool dog. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty okay gig. And it is great to have things back opening up and being able to get up there. So Glad you're making that all work and I guess getting ready for the upcoming EWS up there as we'll get into in a little bit here. But just sort of to start it off, I kind of love to just get a little bit more of your background sort of as a mountain biker, kind of how you got into the sport in the first place, where things started for you on this whole journey. Yeah, well, I feel it was quite a fluke that I found mountain biking. Like I was already a super sporty kid and into like all the sports and tried most of the team sports at school. Um, but my dad and my uncle were into doing like adventure racing and multi-sport where you pretty much have to navigate and you could do kayaking and like, um, running and biking all through the wilderness. So I kind of wanted to do something. I love the sound of that. I wanted to do something along the side on the lines of that. Um, and then I got kind of an opportunity. There's a six hour adventure race. So I dragged one of my friends from high school along with me and we're both so inexperienced and we just kind of threw ourselves in a deep end. And um, there was a little mountain bike section in that, which was just down a gravel road. And I absolutely loved it. It was like my highlight of a race. And I, yeah, it was my favorite thing. So after that, um, I kind of did some research to see if there was any mountain bike clubs around where I was and yeah, found one and went along to one of the open days and just got hooked from there. So yeah, it was, it was sick. Right. And about how old would you have been when you were doing that first adventure race that was kind of your initial foray into mountain biking? Um, I was 15. 
So leading into that, um, I have two other brothers and I kind of wanted to get a bike um, just for traveling, you know, going to and forward school and for doing a bit more biking around the neighborhood. Um, and my parents ended up buying us this real like cheap entry-level mountain bike that probably shouldn't really be, you know, taken off road, one of those, um, for me and my brothers to share. So yeah, we, we got a mountain bike for a family, which was really cool. And luckily for me, my brothers weren't interested at all. So by default, it ended up becoming like my mountain bike. So yeah, it was kind of a, a good situation for me. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. I guess that worked out then just having the bike to yourself for a bit there. And as I understand, you kind of first really started taking things seriously riding and racing cross country, right? So that was sort of your your next steps, I guess, as it were. So to sort of tell us a little bit about that period and kind of where you went from there once you realized that mountain biking was awesome and you'd gotten hooked from that first adventure race, what were the, the next bit of, of the journey like? Yeah, so I ended up going to the club and like it had just started. I think the club had only started like a week or two before I entered it for the open day. Um, and there's just some really nice local people there. I was the only kind of teenager and only female of that group. Um, but yeah, they all kind of just took me under their wing and I just learned a lot, um, from that group, which was awesome. Um, and then from there, like my dad's always been into, you know, doing those racing. So the next step was like, I want to race completely inexperienced, but yeah, just kind of went to the local races and ended up finding I was quite naturally talented at it um but yeah going in I always like I always love the downhills and the jumps and and things like that so naturally I was like I want to do downhill um but yeah I've been been a teenager and relying solely on my parents my parents weren't too keen um on the downhill because I already had some like crashes and always come with grazes on my arms and my knees and you know I went to my school ball with just grazes everywhere so yeah I don't think they were too stoked about me doing uh <laughs> putting myself more at risk so they said that if they don't want me to do downhill but they will support me for cross country and drive me to some of the races and help me um help me get a new bike as well so yeah that I mean that that to me like I was like oh I can't want to do downhill but I just really want to be racing so yeah I went towards that route and then when I moved out of home I ended up going to live um in a city in Auckland and I didn't have a car so you know when I could have probably gone more downhill and gravity orientated I just didn't have a car so my only form of transport was um, riding. So I just ride my like cross country bike to the trails and pitch lift for friends. And yeah, there's just no really opportunity for me to do any gravity stuff until I was out of being a student and I actually earned a little bit of money. So yeah. <laughs> right. That makes sense. And then in those earlier days too, there enduro wasn't really a discipline that existed yet. Right. And so it, it was kind of, you had this pretty large jump between cross country and downhill being sort of the two primary options. Then obviously there's stuff like four cross and dual slalom happening at the time as well, but there was still a, a fairly large gap there, I guess. So then, right. So you, you kind of always had this interest in the more gravity oriented side of things, but it, 
just for various reasons hadn't quite worked out. And then so but like I was sort of saying, then Enduro does start to come on the scene as another kind of middle ground option in a way. And that sort of just immediately click with you as something like, oh, that's what I want to be doing. Like, that's kind of my lane. Or how did you come about making that pivot from cross country into racing Enduro? Yeah, well, I think um, with my cross country, like I enjoyed it and I love the traveling around with friends and going to a national series of like, you know, get a van load full of your mates and <laughs> travel around the country, which was amazing. But I never really enjoyed racing uphill. I'd always kind of, all my strengths was on a descent and I'll kind of just potter my way up the hill and then try and catch everyone on descent. So <laughs> I always, already knew like it was very you know, I was, I was pretty good at going downhill at that stage. Um, and then, uh, did you guys get Super D, the Super D races? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, so the Super D came on board and um, our national kind of federation picked it up as a national championship. Um, and that was just kind of the early days of Enduro. It was just one single run downhill that was quite peddly, but it was, yeah, mostly downhill. And I, I was like, oh, man, that sounds awesome. So I entered that and I was just on my cross-country hardtail and, <laughs> you know, in full lycra because that's all I had. Um, and I ended up winning that by like a substantial margin. And after that, I knew how big it was in the States and I thought it was going to be like the new best thing. So after I did that, I just switched immediately. I was like, this is, this is what I enjoy and this is for me and this is my strength. And I kind of knew at that stage, cross country, you know, I was good at it, but I was never, you know, super talented at it. So <laughs> it was quite a, it was a fun thing for me. It was, it was never going to take me international or anything like that. So yeah, like it was just a very natural transition for me then. Yeah. Kind of right place, right time in a way. Yeah. And so I guess then from there, I mean, you've had, some a kind of an extensive injury history that we don't need to dwell on a whole lot but the the bit of it that i do want to touch on a little is just you've spoken before about your really big pelvis and hip injury in 2013 i think it was that kind of that was the recovery from that sort of helped spur you to really make a go of racing as a professional internationally and you sort of have seen you say elsewhere sort of that just you had this really horrible injury came back from it and getting fired up from going through that recovery process and getting back on a bike was what helped make you think oh sort of now or never i'm gonna have a go at this so just be curious to help have you tell us that story a bit more and sort of what brought about that mental shift that was like okay i'm gonna take a serious crack at this yeah well i feel like you know when stuff stuff happens and it really shakes up your life it it helps you to reassess what you actually want um so that was kind of what happened but yeah I was I was doing a super d race um and ended up on the last practice run of the last training there was a finish line jump and I was like oh I just want to go massive on this for the crowds Uh, and yeah so just like over compressed and on the back and just went full like dead sailor in the air and over the front and then landed so like kind of awkwardly on my side but it dislocated my hip that went through my pelvis um and yeah just fractured my pelvis which I 
it was <laughs> it was quite a gnarly injury. Like I went straight to hospital, and then they flew me to on an air ambulance to Wellington Hospital, which is a major, more like was more able to deal with that sort of injury because I think it was quite a high risk surgery because it's around your pelvis and there's lots of arteries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, yeah, and I ended up two weeks in hospital, big surgery, and got airlifted again after Wellington back home to my to Nelson to recover in a hospital there. Um, yeah, that was that was big. It, it was a long recovery because um, it went. Yeah, it was quite extensive, and I pretty much had to learn to do everything again. Like I was off the bike for six months. I was on crutches um, for three months. Yeah, in the hospital for two weeks, um, and it it stopped me. I guess like when you, it's hard. Like you go to, like I went to university. I got a job. I got a steady boyfriend. We're looking at buying a house and just kind of going down that, you know, normal routes of, of life. Um, and then that injury hit and it kind of reset my like determination to travel overseas and to give racing a go overseas. Um, just because I had to, you know, I was doing recovery every day. That was like my full-time job to recover from this injury. And then I started gradually going back into work and, um, I feel like the mental side affected me a lot more for that injury than the physical side because I my first bike ride and I discovered I couldn't turn left like I think it was just like a mental block and like any berms or stuff I just like came up to the berm and I stopped and I was like I don't know like I've forgotten how to bike ride <laughs> I don't know how to do this um, so I ended up just going online and doing heaps of research and just on like your actual body position and doing like step by step and kind of relearning to ride again, which was probably a blessing in disguise because, you know, when you learn, you pick up really bad habits and get good fast and you skip along the way. Um, whereas now I just had a really good like fundamental base of your positioning and, <laughs> and the basic, basic skills. So, yeah, I've, and I guess from there, like I was pretty motivated. So once I took the fun step, I like, right, what's next? What's next? What's next? And I ended up coming back. Um, I had a a race about seven months. Like I was on the bike at six months. And at seven months, I was like, oh, I might as well enter a race, you know. By that stage, I was okay to crash again. And I was <laughs> like my whole left side was so weak. But I was like, I want to race. Like this is, yeah this will be a cool like kind of comeback and I ended up going against like some of the best women in New Zealand and I won only just but I won and after that I was like man this is you know I'm so unprepared and I'm but I'm just I was just so determined I just wanted to I knew like I think I was like 24 at that stage and I knew I kind of that was a time I had to give it a go to go overseas and I'll only get probably one shot and yeah so after after that race and after the injury that was kind of what gave me the slap in the face to be like okay this is you know you only live once and if I don't do it now I'll just always regret not doing it so yeah after that <laughs> it shook me up and I was like right get overseas yeah I mean that that totally resonates and 
so for then that first season, you went over and started racing the EWS as a privateer. Tell us about just sort of the effort to get all that in together and get your ducks in a row to be able to make that happen and how that first season went. Yeah. Well, New Zealand's quite far away from wrestle world and um, especially Europe, which majority of the races are. Like I think it takes two two days to travel there, normally about 40 hours. Um and I didn't have a lot of money coming. I think I'd been a student and then I'd been working for like two years or a year and a half when I decided. So I didn't have a whole lot of savings. Um, so money was definitely the hardest thing for me. Um, but luckily, I think New Zealand, like it's kind of in the culture when you like, especially mountain biking, every pro now has done a privateer year where they live in a van, <laughs> they live on like, you know, a couple euros a day. So there's lots of people to give me advice and yeah, I, I could follow in people's footsteps, like to be like, okay, this is what's going to happen. Um, but yeah, to get over there, I did like a lot of fundraising. So I did like a pub quiz, did a raffle, um, did some coaching where people would like donate um, whatever money they wanted and just raised, I think I raised a couple grand from that. Um, which was really cool. Um, and then, yeah, had kind of scraped enough money together and went overseas and bought like the cheapest van ever, <laughs> a rusty old thing, and then just chucked some beds in there, like a real, I don't know, I wish I had like splashed out a bit more on the mattress because the mattress I got was um, like, I, I think it was like 10 pounds just from whatever Gumtree or whatever website was called and you could feel the springs in the mattress <laughs> it was so uncomfortable um yeah and went to end up going to the UK and just kind of lived in that van for um I think it was about four or five months just traveling around UK and traveling around Europe and yeah going to races and seeing a countryside which was I mean there are parts that were pretty amazing but then there also parts that was pretty tough. Like we're living on like such a budget. They'll have pretty much um, like oats in the morning. Then I'll have like pasta for lunch with maybe a little bit of like veggies in there, depending on the price. And then like the same again for dinner. So it was like the same meal, absolute budget, only like probably five euros a day food wise. Um, yeah. And then we flew into the UK in June and I think in my head, like you build up, oh, you know, van life and you see everyone talking about it. It's like, oh, you get to see, you know, all the back, um, you know, all the places out back and yeah. And then got there and it rained and hailed for like six weeks straight. And oh my, I was not prepared for that. <laughs> Just this wet, like oh man rusty cold van that was just like a tin and the hail and rain would hit and it was just ding 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 like all night and then go riding and because it's so wet and damp the clothes wouldn't dry couldn't wash the clothes so we're just kind of wearing wet clothes all the time <laughs> and not not showering just going like outside so like <laughs> oh man it was yeah it was definitely a, a yeah an awakening <laughs> good character building <laughs> yeah 
I, I was going to make kind of exactly the same comment that you just did that it's sort of easy to romanticize the idea of van life. Oh yeah. But the, the reality of it can be a little tougher than that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But nevertheless, you stuck with it and that, that season of raising the EWS, which would have been 2015, if I have it right. Yeah, 2015. I mean, here we are, right? So I guess. I know, yeah, ended up, guess ended something up working worked. out. Yeah. Following year, you managed to get picked up for a factory ride, but I sort of, how did that all come about? And was it like you'd been racing the 2015 season, like we said, as a privateer, done pretty well, had some good results, and. Were you going into that season thinking my goal is to wind up on a factory team next year or was it sort of feeling that out and how did the team conversations come about and how did you wind up where you did? Like for me, um, just because money and finance, I gave myself a year and going to do a full season and I was like, this is my one shot and I'm giving a go. This is all I can afford. Um, and yeah, so for me, yeah, that was the end goal, like factory team and to see pretty much how, how well I can do. Um, so from the start, like, I guess I, I just went around the pits and just talked to people, which is, I'm quite a, like a shy person. So it was quite, (laughs) it was quite tough, especially in New Zealand, you grow up being like very modest and you don't want to like talk yourself up or anything so yeah that was quite quite hard to overcome and just introduce myself um so yeah just just throughout the the year I guess the first half of the season I'd just go around the pits and you know not ask for anything but just say you know hey I'm Raywin I'm from New Zealand doing privateer like you know not asking but just trying to get people to know notice me so if i do mm-hmm. have a breakthrough result they'll be like oh man yeah that's that girl or whatever oh yeah i remember yeah. her yeah. yeah i remember her yeah um yeah so just i guess have a a little presence <laughs> um mm-hmm. but i i was blown away at how kind the mountain bike scene was especially i guess doing it on yourself and i think kiwis do have a reputation of doing it pretty rough um and yeah just little things like at the end of races like i go around the pits and teams some teams would give me the old tires that they'd you know ridden or raced on once or twice and then you know they're still perfectly good tires um and just stuff like that and by the ends like you form relate like you form a relationship with the teams and the team managers that. I, I did get helped out like at, at one race at one of the a couple of the last races I'd like go to one tent have a chat I'll get new tires go to another tent I'll have a quick check over my like gears and a <laughs> quick check on my bike go to another tent and then I'll bleed my brakes you know and just just when they had time after I'd done all the athletes so I didn't want to be like a burden so I just kind of <laughs> you know ask a little bit here ask a little bit there ask a little bit there and yeah everyone was just so so nice so I guess um yeah forming that relationship and just making sure people knew I was about and looking for a team and then kind of it happened in Whistler I started talking to people and talking to different teams and you know it was it was hard like I sent I don't even know I I talked to 
so many people sent so many emails and I think I got like 11 like hard like rejections um which was fine but the ones that like kind of were like maybe 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 and then no those were quite quite heartbreaking um and yeah it was I think around the end it was the last two races I was like oh man I don't think this is gonna happen um and then yeah and then the last two races just kind of had my standout performances um I got two fifth places back to back um and was it in Spain and Italy and after that um no one team was interested but couldn't quite commit um until like the following year because I didn't quite have a bike ready um and then um team Lapierre um, who I went with, the French team. Yeah, they were just like, yes, straight away after the last race. They were like, okay, yeah, come to Nice. We'll do some testing. <laughs> so after the last race of the season, I got a lift to them um, to Nice and met with their trainer, met with the head of the met with the team, met with head of um, head of the team as well, and did some uh, physical like for bike testing and strength testing. And yeah, and then it was pretty much yep, yep, keen. <laughs> So, yeah, it all happened pretty much the very last race, the last day, um, and it all just kind of fell together, which was awesome. So, yeah, went home with a, <laughs> with a new team ready for the following year. Yeah, that whole part of being a professional racer just sounds really hard, the yeah. kind of not knowing if you're going to have a job for next season and trying to piece all that together, and we've had bunch of good conversations on here before with various folks about that like maybe most notably katie winton about the whole saga that she went through a couple of years ago and yeah just yeah the sort of stress of having to having things needing to be planned pretty far in advance as far as team negotiations go you're, you're kind of trying to race and have good results but then also needing to be dealing with all of these other things at the same time and handling the travel logistics and having the conversations with teams about the upcoming season while the current one is still underway seems just like a whole lot to juggle. And so what was it like making that leap up to the factory team then? And obviously it's a pretty different experience than being in your tinny little van and <laughs> running as a privateer, but just Tell us more about making that leap and kind of how that changed things for the following 2016 season. Yeah, I thought it was it was incredible. I think, um, yeah, it was, like it was an amazing team. I had like Nico Vulios and Adrian Daly and yeah, was huge names and amazing talented riders. Um, and yeah, like the whole team was French and the fact that they brought on this like, you know, Kiwi. <laughs> Kiwi chick, like, yeah, it was pretty, pretty incredible. I was very, very lucky. Yeah, and like going home, and I think I, st I still did part time work. Um, but just having, you know, straight away they sent a bike, they sent a whole box of gear, and suddenly, like, normally I just get hand me downs from people and, you know, all this, but, you know, the worst of the worst stuff. <laughs> and suddenly having all this brand new stuff, I thought, it was unreal, unbelievable. And they have their trainer. They set me up with a program. And, yeah, I'd suddenly have, like, a structured training program. It was incredible. I think I had, like, the best off-season ever, just focusing on, you know, bettering myself and getting stronger, faster. Um, and my, like, New Zealand season, because 
but summer over there in the off season was very strong and had lots of like really, really good races. So that was incredible. Um, yeah. And then even the following year, amazing. Yeah. Just having everything sorted for you and the Lapierre team were just very, very rider focused and results focused. So they were just, everything was like, okay, how do we get you faster? And yeah, it was, it was incredible. Um, I felt very well looked after in that team. <laughs> yeah. And certainly that was a, like you said, that was a really impressively stacked team. There was some, yeah. <laughs> some serious talent on that. Yeah. So yeah, I just, things are kind of all clicking and doing, doing well at this juncture. I, one thing I sort of, this is maybe a little bit of a tangent, but would be very curious to talk more about is you've been obviously on the EWS circuit for a good while now, since 2015, like we've been saying, which wasn't quite the beginning of the EWS, but that was still relatively early days, right? Like it only started 2013, I think was the first real season of it. So just interested in your sort of take on how the series and how the Enduro as a professional discipline has evolved in the years since and kind of not so much like your specific experience necessarily, but just the sport overall and kind of state of enduro racing generally yeah well i think like obviously it's changed a lot um being such a new sport it's kind of feeling its way and um yeah when i first came on 2015 um like they had huge days absolutely massive days like i think the first race um it's like eight hours and you're all on the bike and super technical trails. And it's kind of a lot of it surviving and just seeing who comes out on top at the end of it. That's what it felt like for me anyway. Um, yeah, there's definitely a huge endurance factor in it and who can survive, whose bikes can survive. Um, definitely in the last, probably since COVID really, where they've had to, especially COVID, they had to shorten the races um, and make it a bit more easier logistical for them, um, having, you know, shorter stages, stages closer together, shorter days, so it's easier um, to set up, easier for media to get around. So it's definitely changed. I think, like, the race time has pretty much halved. Normally we're doing, back in the day, we used to do, like, two full, full days. Now we're just kind of doing one longish day but not like super long um yeah it seems very short and sharp but I guess like as a racer um coming from the longer days I probably prefer the longer days but then I can see it having the shorter days like it's so much easier for coverage it's so much easier for their timing like logistics and it's you know it's it's, it's always going to be good or bad. Um, yeah. And obviously the coverage of it in the last couple of years has gotten a lot more. And then probably with that, the salaries have increased as well because yeah, there's more, <laughs> um, more coverage. So yeah, it's, it's different, but it's, I don't know if it's good or bad. It's just, it's just evolving. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that's sort of always been one of the real challenges of Enduro as a discipline is so that it's just an extremely difficult sort of format to get camera coverage on. And so trying to figure out, crack the nut of how to 
broadcast it and how to get people watching it's a tricky challenge you know i don't, I don't oh, feel like yeah. i have obvious answers for it because it's just you have such a big geographic area for the course and riders on course all over the place at all different times and trying to figure and the days are so long that trying to do kind of a live broadcast you have this just immensely long thing and it's, it's not obvious what the right way to go about oh, it is, totally. it'll, be, it'll be a very very hard event to organize for sure yeah well and i i kind of meant that like especially just from the the angle of trying to broadcast it mm. too um but would be curious for your take like if you happened to be in charge and could just kind of wave a magic wand and reshape things are there particular changes that you would like to see or is it sort of feel like they've got things pretty well sorted or I don't know. Floor is yours, I guess. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty. I just go with the flow, you know. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but I mean, in my ideal scenario, I I do think um, having the longer days, like it would be cool to have a variety. You know, you go to say the UK where the hills are quite short, and be like, yeah, it'll be a shorter day because there's shorter tracks. Um, but then still have like still have a couple of the harder days, like you know what Whistler used to be crankzilla um you know if you go to Whistler you're like oh yeah it's going to be a big one um I think yeah I think just variety is good and to keep things yeah keep things a bit fresh um but I, the thing I would love to see and this is just me from being like from New Zealand where I'm like wow there's a lot of races in Europe for a world series like it's pretty much for Europe world series it would be amazing to actually use more of a world um yeah but then again like cost and logistics and getting teams there it's easier to say that than to actually make it happen but yeah like it'll be so cool to go to say like africa or you know indonesia um yeah but just spread out a little bit more from europe i love europe but yeah it'll be cool <laughs> cool to go to some different continents <laughs> oh for sure and like you said i mean they're obvious logistical reasons why that's harder too but it would be super cool and i guess on a somewhat related note what's how do you feel about the kind of revisiting courses and returning to venues pretty regularly versus just changing things and going to someplace new more often would you like to see a mix of both or what would your preferred sort of situation be there yeah i think i think a mix is good um, I love going to new places, like the new venues. Very, very exciting. Um, like we're going to um, the East Coast of America for the first time after after Whistler and the next block of racing. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but then I, I same again. I love. I do like returning just for I guess less stress. Like you, you know, you know what airport to fly in. You know the rental car place. You know where the supermarkets are. You know the trails where to train and we where to ride. It's a lot easier and a lot less stressful um, as an athlete, um, like especially leading into a race. So yeah, I think a mix is good. Like always keeping bringing on new venues, but then yeah, returns for classics. <laughs> it's always fun. <laughs> yeah. Along those lines. What are some of your favorite venues or favorite tracks, favorite races that they've done over the years? Whistler, for sure. I think it's, yeah, this is my favorite place. Um, 
I think because also we've been shut out for three years <laughs> with all the COVID. So finally, you know, we're allowed to to be in here. So it's it's just cool. The people are lovely. The place is insane. The trails are insane. You've got the lakes. It's, yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool venue. Um, I also really like Finale um, in Italy. Again, just big hills, big tracks, and an end on the beach, and got the gelato pizza. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's been it's been in the races for so long. I think it's one of the first first like race venues. So yeah, just stuff like that. It's very very fun. <laughs> Certainly, two pretty excellent places. Oh, yeah. I've not been to Finale, <laughs> but it's very high on the list of places that I'd like to to make happen sometime soon and obviously whistler's pretty special for <laughs> all the reasons that <laughs> imagine most of the folks listening are well acquainted with so i guess just be interested to get a little bit of a rundown on this season so far too we're three races in you've been having consistently pretty good results take us through the those three and kind of how the season's going man it's yeah it's been a it's been a wild season for sure um, yeah, it, it hasn't been perfect. Um, it's definitely making me want more, um, for the next round of races. Um, but in saying that with what's happened, I'm very stoked with my results. Um, like the first, the first race, um, I ended up getting a bit sick. Um, I don't, I don't think it was COVID, but I got COVID very shortly after a race. Um, but yeah, just had like a head cold and not feeling amazing. Um, but still, still ends up racing really well. And it was very tight racing. I ended up night fair, but yeah, it was, it was so close. Like there's kind of seconds and milliseconds apart on like every stage. So yeah, it was, and it was a really cool to be there in the sunshine which I've never been in Scotland on a good weather <laughs> so that was a novelty and yeah that place is amazing <laughs> um yeah and I went to uh Austria and in between in between Scotland and Austria I got COVID so I kind of had to shut down for a week and not do much luckily I got it super mild um so I only had like a very minor cold for a couple days, but then yeah, just have to wait till I tested negative. Um, and then went into Austria and had a couple big crashes. So I was kind of, I was making it through. I was having a good time, but I struggled to push just because I had injured my shoulder and my arm and my neck. And then I guess coming from being locked down for a week, it was just, <laughs> it was just a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, and then I, I can't remember what I got. Um, maybe 11th or something. Yeah. So like, it's, it's crazy. Like these were results I was getting last year with like a really good day. So I know I'm, I'm stronger this year and there's more speed this year, which is pretty exciting. Um, and then went to Italy and the first stage I got a front flat on like the second corner. And so I had to, um, it was, and there's like a front flat. I was like, oh, I can't really push it. So I just had to ride as slow as I could down, try and keep the tire in the rim. And yeah, there's one stage I was like, is it better to like stop 
and fix it. I was like, oh, no, too short. And then do I run? And I'm like, no, like, let's just, yeah, we'll nurse it down. Um, So I lost a lot of time on the first stage. I think I got like 31st or something. Um, And then, yeah, the second day I was just like, well, (laughs) you know, this sucks, but there's nothing to lose. So I just kind of went on a mission to see how many places I can make up. And I think I made up 20 places on the second day. So, yeah, it was it was an amazing race in the sense of that. And it definitely gave me a lot of confidence that I had some really good speed. Um, and, again, like I got 11th. Um, so, yeah, with, yeah, and just, you know, you'd never expect a perfect race, especially endure it so long. You're never going to have, like, the most perfect race but yeah just to limit those <laughs> those kind of things happening um keep that to a minimal um yeah so it'd be cool I'm excited for the rest of the season to give it a nudge and hopefully have less flat tires and <laughs> and illness <laughs> yeah yeah here's to hoping for no flats yeah no yeah keep the crashes down totally. but I mean currently sitting 10th overall which Certainly nothing to complain about. Any particular specific goals for the rest of the season or other than just keeping it right side up and keep going fast? Or where are you at on that at this point? Yeah, I think just the consistency. I guess it's it's hard because when you, when you crash, it generally means you're pushing it and you're going fast. And sometimes it's not a big crash. You can still have a really good time because everywhere else is fast. So... Yeah, I don't think not keep if I go into race thinking like, I need to keep it upright, like I'm just gonna go quite slow. <laughs> so yeah, I've I've accepted like, yeah, little crashes fine. Um, but definitely mechanicals, I think. Uh yeah. I don't know. Again, like I I was just unlucky with that flat. I've never had a front flat. Um and yeah, just slightly offline and hit the sharpest rock there was on the side and it just went down straight away. So I don't know. Yeah, I think just going in, taking each race as it comes, each stage, kind of just wiping the slate clean and being like pretending it's a whole new race. I think it's a really good mindset and just kind of doing as good as I can on every stage and every race. <laughs> Keep it simple. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Apart from Whistler, which you've obviously already shouted out as a favorite venue, anything in particular on the remaining bit of the calendar that you're especially looking forward to for this year? Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to going to East Coast of America for the first time. I've never been there, um, which will be just a new, a whole new place, which I have no idea what to expect. So, yeah, it'll be quite cool. Um, yeah, and then obviously end up back in Europe and spends there's a couple races there in Ludenville and Cairns Montana so yeah I, I guess like for all really good venues <laughs> like I can't say anything bad about them like yeah but but all fun all got amazing tracks um yeah I think but Whistler was, was the highlight for me this year <laughs> yeah yeah I'm sure it's good to be back yeah one of the sort of other kind of interesting parts of your race program is that you've got your husband Jesse along as your mechanic and just kind of love to hear a bit more about that I think it's an interesting sort of dynamic where 
obviously it's got to be great having him there in a lot of ways. It's also got to be kind of interesting. I would imagine, tell me if I'm wrong, switching gears between sort of the different modes of your relationship and, you know, being a couple and then having him having this more professional side of it, I guess, too. So how long have you been doing that for? And tell us about how that came about and yeah. how it works for you, too. Yes, yeah, pretty sweet. Um, it came about, so I was, first I was on Lapierre, then I was on a giant factory off-road team, um, but as a live, live rider on that team. And after I was on a two-year contract, and after that, there was just one year where I decided that the team was not quite for me, like just a team environment. And like Jesse was looking after all my bikes in the off season and like we're doing like suspension testing and setting it all up. And it was just stuff with the team. Like it was an amazing team, but just like stuff could change like that. We're like rock up to a race and get whole new suspension. They're like, Oh man, like it was just hard hard for me to deal with just after doing so much like precise um testing and and things like that and then there's one like for travel was pretty gnarly as well like there's one stage where I think we're doing like video shoots and team camp for two weeks and two weeks of racing in South America and in between that more videos and then after that more videos so it was like six weeks of just a lot of stress and not much sleep. And I ended up getting really sick um, and got pneumonia from it. And yeah, after that, I was just like, oh, I, like I personally can't cope with the, ske- like, the schedule and just the demands of, of, um, of, that, of the team at that stage. And yeah, so after, after that, I kind of was thinking about my ideal setup and I'd be like, well, it'll be cool if I could book my own flights because a lot of the time, you know, the team has so much staff and so many riders and all their budgets um, have to be allocated at certain times. So often I'll get booked on last minute flights and those flights when you're traveling internationally, you know, it could be a 30 hour flight and because it's last minute, it's going to be a 55 hour flight and I'll have like two, like a, a, I think one like 12 hour layovers and things like that. I was like, this is really like, it was just, yeah. I was like, I, I'm sure I can do this better myself just because I would only have to focus on myself, not focus on, I don't know, 20 different writers and staff. Um, yeah. So after that, I was just thinking. And then when it came to talking about um, next year, well, um, I kind of, yeah, I just, I was like, well, I decided that I didn't really want to be on a team and that it wasn't amazing for my health. And I stopped having fun just because the travel schedule and everything was so hectic. Um, but I kind of went into the interview or the, sorry, the, the meeting with nothing to lose. <laughs> so I was just like, I'm just going to ask for like what I want. And then, yeah, if, I've got I've got nothing to lose. Um, so yeah, just went went there and be like, I ideally need this much money for expenses. I'd like this much money for salary, and I like Jesse for my mechanic, and I want to pay him this much. Um, and yeah, live were amazing, and I just turned around and you know they took a massive chance on me. It was definitely 
we've talked about it for a little while, but they're really open to the idea and were super keen to keep me on and, um, yeah, just trying to see how that will work. And they said, said yes and gave me the budget. And, yeah, it's 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 been really, really cool. Um, and then, yeah, obviously being able to, because before me and Jesse spent long time periods apart, like I was gone for six months um, of each year. And then he came over once for two weeks um, to meet me in Canada. But then last minute I had to go to a race. So he only ends up really having a week together um, in six months. So yeah, after it was after being able to travel with your husband and <laughs> especially he knows my bike so well and we spend, you know, the off season together and, Trying, trying out new things and testing and getting some really good settings. So, yeah, it just kind of all fell into place after that. And it is like, yeah, like you said, trying to do the professional from the personal. It, it took a wee bit <laughs> um, of just, yeah, <laughs> just trial and error. And um, I guess especially when it's someone you love, like, you know, emotions are a bit higher and you're a bit more sensitive to things. Um, yeah, so I it it took a wee bit, but we've got it pretty dialed now, and yeah, I think our communication's pretty pretty good, <laughs> and we'll we'll put each other in our places as well if one of us has been, yeah, not <laughs> a little bit silly, I guess, but yeah, so it, it's it's pretty sick. Yeah, that's a really cool, really special arrangement, and I guess any sort of particular keys that you have learned to making it work what's kind of been the trick what's made things work there well I think we're you know we're kind of husband and wife team um up until the race and then race week um especially pretty much from training onwards he, he puts on a mechanic hat <laughs> and keeps it we're like pretty professional I guess and just how we deal with each other um and then just being aware of each other's feelings you know like I won't walk in a pit and be like oh this is shit you know <laughs> just be like hey like I'm not sure about this and um be like I'm feeling this or whatever like just yeah just being careful what you say knowing that <laughs> someone feelings on the other side or him being like it's not the bike it's you you know <laughs> just stuff yeah just I guess just basic stuff if you like step away and you look and you're like, well, it's pretty obvious. But yeah, like, yeah, just being when emotions are high, especially racing when it's high pressure, high stress, trying to look out for each other's feelings is, <laughs> is, is real, just as important. Um, and working together instead of kind of <laughs> blame things, I guess. Yeah, so that's that's cool. It, it took definitely the first the first season. There was def- situations that will come across. I'll be like will get offended at um but now it's yeah it's all pretty <laughs> pretty dialed and you can actually have a good time and have fun how long have you had that arrangement going forward with jesse as the mechanic and kind of running your own program oh good question i'll just quickly do some math in my head it'll be three three years yeah three years <laughs> yeah seems like it's working out pretty well certainly the results yeah <laughs> speak for themselves and yeah very cool that you've made that work and you touched a little bit on doing a whole bunch of 
offseason testing and the rest. Just be curious for is there, are there any particular things about bike setup or part selection or whatever it might be that you are especially picky about things that you kind of can let slide and don't mind as much. What are your sort of preferences and key things on that front? Um, well, it's, it's probably, well, having Jesse, like obviously we do a lot of testing, which I think that's good, but then it's also bad because it makes you really know what you want and being pretty picky about things. Whereas I think before early in my career, I could just like jump on and ride anything and be like stoked or happy. Um, but then obviously, you know, when you're talking with a race is getting a lot tighter, those tiny little margins here and there do will start to make a difference. Um, yeah, I feel like for me, I can, the stuff I'm super picky about is suspension. Um, making that feel like it's suited to how I'm riding at that, that moment and for trail. Um, I like my bike to be super predictable and just, yeah, make it feel kind of like an e- extra arm or whatever. I don't, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> um, so just getting all the balance and everything right on that. And then also my cockpit setup. Um, yeah, like bar roll reach. Like, yeah, that's, I guess, because I ride my bike every single day and every single day it's the same. So when something changes, like it, it, you do feel it and it does, it just makes it less natural. I think everything, I just want it to be automatic and natural and I don't have to think about it in the racing. So yeah, suspension and cockpit. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm, I'd let slide. <laughs> I have. Yeah, yeah. The answer is nothing. That's, <laughs> that's fair. I mean. Yeah. Like when, um, when stuff happens, like mechanicals, I think I've got a pretty good coping mechanism. Like you, you, I don't get stressed about that stuff. Like I've spent a whole day with like, after smashing a derailleur, like gears are not that great or not changing well. And, you know, it doesn't stress me out too much. I'm like, all right, can't use that gear or, you know, I'll stick in this gear for this bit and yeah, stuff like that. I guess it's, it's fine and you can work around. Um, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, I do. Yeah. I'm, I think I am one of the fussier riders now with my bike. <laughs> Perfectly fair enough. On that note of sort of consistency that you mentioned, just wanting the bike to feel predictable and you know, natural, I guess. How much are you changing setup on a course by course basis? Because like, there's sort of this trade off between just having everything be exactly as it has been and familiar versus attempting to do some sort of optimization for different courses. And so I'm curious for your take on that. Yeah, like, absolutely changing little things, I think, make a big difference. Like in New Zealand, I'll get a base setting um, of everything. And I'll always go back to that, like, after whatever race, I always go back to my base setting and then go from there. But yeah, definitely like when it's, you know, in Europe and say it's rained and there's fresh cut tracks and lots of camber routes, like I don't want a whole lot of compression or I don't want my bike, you know, I want as much traction as I can. And cause I'm going a little bit slower cause it's super wet. Um, I can, 
you know, take off compression or let out a little bit of tire air pressure and and things like that. So like it's only little like little things, but they can make quite a difference and it won't change the feel of a bike massively because the conditions have changed. Um, and then same like I've been in Whistler for a week and a bit now, two weeks, and just riding like the trails around here and especially bike park, it's a lot more fast pace and there's big compressions and your upper body takes a bit more of a hiding. So like little things, I've just raised my stem slightly um, to help with my arms and I've upped my air pressure a little bit because there's big rock rolls and there's big bottom out. So I'm getting to travel a lot easier here. So yeah, I just need a little bit more support. Um, but yeah, things like that. It's only like, a couple PSI here and there or like one click rebound here and there. It's very, very minor changes. Yeah. And then when we go to America, everything will go back to normal again. And yeah, it was just little tweaks here and there. Just started over. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense kind of doing minor adjustments, but not trying to make super dramatic wholesale changes and things. And the bit about resetting to a baseline in each venue and then figuring out what you want to change from there makes a ton of sense as a way to go about it. It's sort of, if you have this neutral position that you know works pretty well generally, and then you're just kind of trying to determine what can get tweaked from there for where you happen to be at that given moment and what the conditions are at that time. So yeah, that's a nice insight. I like that. Totally. I feel, I feel you can get like, you can go down a rabbit hole so easy. <laughs> like, especially if you just keep changing things left, right, center and trying to search for a certain feeling. And yeah, it's, it's hard. You can definitely get very, very lost and <laughs> go around in circles of it. Right. No, exactly. That's yeah. kind of why I like asking that sort of question, <laughs> just to sort of hear how different folks go about it. And I think your your insights were were good ones. That, that makes a lot of sense. Well, Ray, this has been super fun and really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Let you get back to it here shortly. But before we go, I do tend to wrap these up by asking the guests if they have a big idea to share with us. The show is called Bikes and Big Ideas, after all. So anything you have for us on that front? Oh, man, I've been, this is a hard question. I've been thinking about it for a wee bit. Um, and it's... Yeah, I, it's tough. The only thing I could kind of come up with, which would be cool, um, would be like the UCI teams to bring on, make it kind of compulsory to bring on a woman and even a junior um, on every team. Like I feel most teams have it, but I think making it a standard would be pretty awesome and, you know, just help create opportunities for kind of more people um yeah i think that'll be that'll be sick (laughs) that's excellent i'm all for it (laughs) great thought no notes that sounds great yeah so (laughs) but man that's yeah real open question i I was like yeah i was thinking for ages yeah (laughs) well i appreciate you noodling on that because you came up with a good one so (laughs) thanks and just Again, thank you for taking the time to chat. I know you got the race coming up pretty soon here, so all the best in Whistler and for the rest of the season, and thanks again for coming on. Cool, no worries. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome. It's been fun. Talk to you soon. (laughs) Cool, cheers. All right, 
That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And as always, if you're enjoying these conversations, then we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. I also want to say thanks to Ray for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing the episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye, everybody.